Life Audio. One of the aspects of the Christian life that I think we sometimes forget is that God knows us intimately. The good, the bad, the ugly, he knows it all. He knows everything about us. He's been everywhere that we've ever been and everywhere we will ever be. And he has limitless power in our lives. And so today, as we go through Psalm 139, which is the favorite of a lot of people, we're going to look at that idea and have that understanding and recognize how well God truly knows us. Stay tuned. Hey, friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with Him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand His will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're going through Psalm 139, and this is a psalm that is very familiar to a lot of people. As we read it, I think you'll find there's a lot of familiar language in it. And as we go through, I I just want to remind you that the reason why we're going through the Psalms is the Psalms were the hymn book and prayer book of both Jesus and the disciples. And we want to have a good understanding of what was in the Psalms so it helps us understand what Jesus was talking about when he referred to the Psalms. A lot of people have been using this as their daily devotional. If you would like to do that, I have a couple of resources for you. If you go to the show notes, you'll see a journaling prompt because I think journaling is a really good way to help you get this information from your head into your heart. If you would like all of the journaling prompts sent to you as a recap, each week on Monday, I send those out. If you go to shehears.org, you can sign up for the newsletter and I'll send those out to you every Monday. And then if you would like the previous episodes altogether, you can go to the resources section. So you go to shehears.org slash resources and you can look for the guided Psalms journals. In those journals, they are, there are space to actually write. There's a link to the audio journal. There's the key verse for the day. And then of course, the journaling prompt. Again, just extra resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. Today, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. And this is a Psalm of David, who at this point in his life, when this was written, he was acting as the music director. So starting at verse one, it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I get up, you understand my thought from far away. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have encircled me behind and in front and placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. 
If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you created my innermost parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts for me, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would put the wicked to death, God, leave me, you men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. This psalm, for many of us, is well-known and, in many cases, well-loved. It's one that, when you start reading it, a lot of people are really familiar with it. But there's three things that I want to just preface this by that I think will help us really understand the tone of the psalm. There's three concepts about God that is described in the psalm as we go through, and that is God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence. And I know those are big words. I'm going to break it down for you. It talks about God's omniscience. And what omniscience means is that God knows everything. And so I think about this in terms, especially in terms of prayer, because I think this was really eye-opening for me when I learned this. And it actually wasn't even that long ago. It was within the last couple of years where I had a really good understanding of this. Of course, we know that God knows everything. I think we consciously understand that. But scripture talks about how God knows our heart. God knows the prayers of our heart, the thoughts that we think, the things that we can't even say out loud. God knows that. I think for a long time, I didn't realize that the enemy was not omniscient, meaning the enemy did not know everything. And while I always knew that, and I would talk about how life and death is in the power of the tongue and that there was an impact with the words that we would say, I didn't quite realize that the power that the enemy has in our lives is usually the power that we give him based on what we say. And so if we talk about our fear, guess what? Now the enemy has fuel for the fire. If we talk about, you know, our fights that we're having or the insecurities that we have, or we speak negatively to ourselves, or even just things like talking about how something's going to kill you or, Somebody will say things like, oh, you know, this headache is killing me. There's power in that because the enemy will use that against you. That's the the weapon that he uses because he's not omniscient. He does not know what we're thinking, what's in our heart, what's in our mind. He doesn't know the prayers of our heart. And so it's one of the reasons why we have to be really careful with the words that we say. The second thing is omnipresence, 
meaning God is everywhere. So omniscience means God knows everything. Omnipresence means God is everywhere. And then the third one, omnipotence, means God can do everything. He has limitless power. So the enemy is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent and he is not omnipotent. There's a limit to the power that the enemy has. And as believers, God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to stop the enemy. The enemy cannot be everywhere at every time like God can. And so there's this limit. Yes, we're talking about these great things of aspects of God, but I think it's really helpful to think about this in terms of the enemy as well, because it helps us to know that he does not have as much power as he thinks he does in our lives. And he his power is limited. And I think that can be really freeing for us if you've not thought about it in those terms before. So as we get into Psalm 139 verses one through six, it's this idea of how God hems us in. So at the end of the Psalm, David wants God, he asks God to search him and find if there's any offensive way in him. I love that. And I think that's a pattern of prayer that we can use in our own lives as well. But he begins with this positive idea that God has already searched him and knows him. And he recognizes that there's nothing that he does. There's nothing that he says. There's nothing that he even thinks that God doesn't know. And so he describes how God has this omniscient understanding of him, of his heart, of his mind, of the thoughts, of the insecurities that he has. And that's a comprehensive understanding of who he is. And it helps us understand how well God knows us. God knows every single thing that he did, that he's going to do, that he's currently doing. And he talks about how from the sitting to his standing, his going out to his coming in, his lying down, his resting, everything. God knows all of it. And I think that's a really important aspect to our relationship with God that we have to keep in the primary forefront of our minds, understanding that even when we don't fully understand God, he fully understands us. And I think there's freedom in that. I think sometimes people will say, even with things like prayer, oh, I don't really know how to pray or I mess it up. God knows our heart. So even if the words come out wrong or you feel like you don't have the right words, God knows our heart. And I think that gives us this freedom to know that even in our humanness where we make mistakes and we mess up, God knows our heart. I love that aspect. So David shows us that there's this understanding that he has, that he knows God, knows him completely and thoroughly. There's not one aspect of him that God doesn't know. And so we don't really recognize or it's not very clear if that is comforting to him or if it's upsetting to him. And I wonder that too, like, is that a good thing in your life or is that a bad thing in your life? When it's talking about how God hems him in, that's essentially saying he's before him and he's behind him. Someone that is hemmed in can sometimes feel confined or enclosed or suffocated. So sometimes people take that to be a negative. But I think instead it is a sign of comfort. You know, I, I... I think everybody's a little bit different, so maybe this is a very human example, but I have one of those weighted blankets, and 
when I put that weighted blanket on, I just feel so secure and so comforted. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of this idea of being hemmed in God before and God behind, that he has wrapped his arms around us. And there is a protection there that we can't get any other way. And so while some people might say that this is a negative thing, I actually think it's, it's, he's saying it in a positive light. We're actually going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll continue discussing the Psalm. Stay tuned. When I think of that aspect or that imagery of being hemmed in, I think it's kind of the same vein of how I pray for my children. When we go to school in the morning, we pray. And I pray for even my daughter that's in college now. We pray for a hedge of protection around them. And by hedge, I don't mean like bushes. I mean this hedge of protection, meaning there's this boundary of protection from God's hand by his spirit around my children. I ask that around their hearts, their minds, their brains, their emotions, their spirit, their bodies, all of it. And so I think that's kind of the same sense that David is talking. In verses 7 through 12, there's the rhetorical question that he asks, where can I go? And that is really, I think, the tone of a lot of this psalm where it's this understanding that there's nowhere that he can go to escape God's presence. He cannot get away from God's presence. That has been a powerful truth in my life. And friend, if you haven't experienced that or understood that, I want you to pay close attention to what I'm going to say. There's nowhere you can go to escape God's presence. There's nowhere that you can go that he's not already there. And I think for me, the turning point for that understanding was probably the first time I went on the mission field. There was a lot of fear, I think, for the first time I went on, well, I guess I should say the international mission field. I was going to a pretty remote place and I was carrying a lot of fear with me. And I was still going to go, but I was really struggling with that, which is not typical for me. Um, but at that time in my life, I, I was really inexperienced on the mission field and I was really, really fearful of it. And a mentor, pastor, an older pastor, a friend of mine said, there's nowhere you can go that God is not already there. Do you think if you go there, he's not gonna, his presence isn't going to be there? His presence is as much with you there as it is right here. And I think that really changed things for me. So if I'm going into a situation that I'm unsure of or I don't understand or maybe there's some sort of threat or something like that, I remember this aspect. Where can I go that you're not there? There's nowhere I can go that you are not. And I also think that even in the midst of our sin and our mess, sometimes we make a mess of our lives. God's there. It would be foolish of us to think he's not there. Now, do we always sense him? No, because our sin separates us from him. But he's there. In fact, he reaches down into that mess to pull us out. I think that's a really foundational principle that David is explaining that we have to understand and recognize. And when we truly understand that, I think it changes things a little bit for us. So if the beginning part of this psalm talked about the omniscience of God, meaning how God knows everything... This section is talking about the omnipresence of God, meaning he is everywhere. And so it talks about how God is in the heavens as well as in the depths. And of course, everywhere in between. He is in the east and he's in the west. So the wings of the dawn, which is where the sun rises, and in the west, the far side of the sea, that's referring to the Mediterranean. He's there and he's everywhere in between. In between. And then we're going to jump down to verses 13 through 18, where it's talking about how God knows him. 
And I love this passage. We often talk about this in terms of pregnancy or even in the abortion conversation. This is one of the the verses that's referred to. You know, it's not like God is a creator, just plants the seed and then lets go and is uninvolved. In, in fact, it's the opposite. God is with us from the very, very beginning. He knows us thoroughly. As a creator, he doesn't just create us and then withdraw. He is there for every single piece of the of the process. He is intimately involved in not just the birth, but the way that we are formed. It says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God's knowledge of us, of the psalmist, so that he's as he's talking about this, it's he's talking about how that extends to the time before he was conceived. He says, before your eyes saw my unformed body. God not, not only knows the, the past, meaning the distant past before he was even created, but he also knows the future. And I think that it gives us so much hope because God knows what's coming down the road, which means we can trust him. There are things that he warns us about that helps us to understand that we can trust him because he knows, he knows our past, he knows our present, and he knows our future. And he's not just a father, but he's a good father. You know, as a mom, as a parent, I know my daughter's fairly well. I know their nature. I know their character. I know their behavior. I know their strengths and I know their weaknesses. And not that I'm like God in any way, shape or form, but there's sometimes insight that I have based on who they are and that intimate knowledge where I can tell something isn't going to be a good fit for them, whether that is a friendship or a job or some sort of circumstance. I know that it's not going to be a good fit for them. And thankfully, we have that kind of relationship where they will most often time listen to me because they've learned to trust me. I think it's very similar to our relationship with God where we learn to trust him because he knows us. Now, this last part is kind of interesting. And I think sometimes people, especially modern readers, will kind of skim over this part. And this is the part that actually talks about the omnipotence of God, meaning he can do anything. He has limitless power. This end part, 19 through 24, where David is asking for vindication. It's a little bit different of a tone than the rest of the psalm. And it's, you know, what some would call a, a lament. It's kind of surprising the way that he kind of turns his verbiage and he's now expressing this anger towards the wicked, how they're bloodthirsty and they're dangerous. And we we realize scholars believe that there was a very specific threat to David because it was provoking a lot of stress and a lot of worry. We see that in verse 23. And so he's calling on God to not just kill the wicked, but then to search him and to proclaim him innocent and then remove the danger from his life. I think it's interesting because throughout this passage, we see this difference in David. He's at the end of this psalm, he's anxious about these wicked people who are threatening his life. But we know from earlier in the passage that he understood that God knew him thoroughly, inside and out. He knew that God was present with him wherever he went. He knew that God was all powerful. But he still had anxiety about the situation he was facing and the people, the wicked people, whatever that danger was that he was facing. But at the end of the psalm, he surrenders to God and he again puts his hope in him. And I think that's something that we see in the New Testament as well. Paul knew that the life of a believer was going to be difficult at times. 
and we were going to face a lot of threats. Now, the threats we face now are different than the threats that the first century Christians would have faced. But Paul reminds us, let me read it for you. Uh, This is from Romans chapter 8. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We shall separate us Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's Romans eight thirty one through 39. There is this understanding, I think, that sometimes we forget in the Christian life, that even though we know that God knows us, that he is all-powerful, that he is everywhere, there's nowhere that we can go that he is not, I think it's a fallacy to think, that that means we're not going to have trouble. And in fact, the opposite is true. But what we know is that we're not going to go through that trouble alone. That when we face those things, we're not doing it alone. That God's presence is with us through his spirit. We see that in the Old Testament and we see that in the New Testament. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and read starting from verse 1. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thought from far away. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have encircled me behind and in front and placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell into the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts for me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would put the wicked to death, God. Leave me, you men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. 
put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, help us not to miss the impact of this psalm. How precious are your thoughts for us. How vast is the sum of them. If we were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Your thoughts for us, your good thoughts for us outnumber grains of sand. God, help us to walk away with that powerful truth, with this understanding that you know everything intimately about us. You are everywhere. There's nowhere we can go to escape you and that you have limitless power. God, I thank you for the way that even in the midst of trouble, we know that you are there, that you are leading us, that you are guiding us, that your presence is there. And not just now, but you know us in the future. You know the future versions of ourselves. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you with our future, with our present. Lord, we thank you for the way that you continue to reveal yourself through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know. I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org, where there are also some really good resources to help you in your spiritual growth. I pray that they are a blessing for you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call on your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.